Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 186 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. <laughs> My name is Barbara. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. What's happening? Well, you know what? This episode actually brings in a, a milestone for us. What? I know. Three years? I know. Four years? 20 years? <laughs> We've been doing this for <laughs> 77 years. No, actually, the program we use to keep track of everything says that we're going to have over 150 hours of content. Can you believe that? <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> do you remember all 150? <laughs> no, but I do remember just, you know, working really good with you and having more and more fun. And I think we got acclimated to the whole thing and we just started rolling and I've really enjoyed it. So yeah, feels like 150 hours, but it's been super gratifying. It's amazing to me to think that we have been talking and talking to people in this industry for 150 hours plus probably the 50 hours we cut out <laughs> so, exactly you know there's at least 27 hours of me trying to pronounce someone's name i cut out so. <laughs> you just made me laugh that's funny <laughs> so i know when you and i talked before the podcast started and i just wanted to acknowledge henry's henry martin who i'm sure a lot of our listeners know passed away this past week from covid he had been fighting it for, I think, over two months, Long and I've been following yeah. following his wife on Facebook and, you know, seeing where he was at. Well, unfortunately, he passed away. So, you know, for all of those listeners, hopefully there's some, but all of our listeners that do know him or have known what an amazing person, technician, leader, you name it, the Henry was in our industry. He was one of my very first mentors when I started my board, you know, when I went on the foundations board back in the Keys, him and Lindy Sykes, the two people that I knew that helped me along. And I'm really sad about it. And I really just wanted to acknowledge that. I know you did too, as well. And just say, you know, if anybody knew him, how sorry we are that he passed and just a really good man, great technician, a restorative arts dental lab. If you guys are listening to us, we're so sorry. That's in uh, South Carolina, isn't it? Yeah. He was past president of the NADL. Past president of the NADL, chairman of the NBC, past president of the Southeastern Conference, past president of the South Carolina Dental Lab Association, and past trustee of the foundation, and co-chairman of the Eastern Conference of Dental Lab for 10 years. So Holy a lot of love yeah. there, a lot of years of giving back. Just super good guy, super happy. Married a just a, an amazing young lady and uh, COVID got him. Just so, so sad. Our thoughts to the family. Yep. Well, how do we bring ourselves up from that? <laughs> um. Yeah, let's try. <laughs> let's try. If anybody can do it, you can. Okay, so... so. A longtime podcaster and a gentleman that actually helped us start our podcast, Dr. Alan Mead. I don't know if you remember, Barb, but we were on his podcast a couple yes. years ago. Oh, yeah. He has a new podcast out called A Very Dental Podcast. The latest episode 
And he, I did not know he was going to do this, but the latest, the latest <laughs> episode is called Everyone Sucks at Their Job Except Elvis. Is that you, Elvis, or Elvis Elvis? Well, that's what I asked him. And he said, <laughs> I cannot say for the work ethic of the king. Aww. Well, you know, it could be you. It is about me. So, Aww, that's cool. It's it's actually, you know, I I know you love it when I mention Preet. Yep. But I helped Dr. Mead on a case recently for some attachments. And Aww. because he has the power of the podcast, he got on his podcast and he went on this long rant about a banking situation he has. But at the end, he wrapped it up saying, you know, they don't all have to be bad at customer service. Take Elvis, for example. <gasps> So please check out the episode. Check out his podcast. It's called A Very Dental Podcast. Again, the episode's called Everyone Sucks at Their Job Except Elvis, which is a great (laughs) title. (laughs) I'll be sure to put a link up in this episode's show notes if you want to check it out. It was quite the honor, and I'm greatly appreciative. Everybody loves you. Good for you. That's fantastic, though. You know what? That's what it's all about. And I say that sarcastically, but I really don't mean it. That that really is what it's all about. Not sucking at your job. Helping people out and being amazing at, you know, helping people out. So good for you. Shout out to Thanks. you. Thanks. It was a fun listen. It, it definitely made me feel good. I'll check it out. So this is our last chance. Dun, dun, dun. We're two weeks away. Barb and I will both be at the Whitmix Digital Forum. October 29th and the 30th in Louisville, Kentucky. I can't wait. This is going to be great. I can't wait either, to be honest with you. It's been a long time since we've actually gotten a chance to record together, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Can't wait. Be ready, all y'all, because I'm going to come grab you. We'll see you there. Oh, yes, we will, with bells on. I'm not wearing bells. Why do people say that? I don't know, because I'm a dork. You are a dork. All right, so I just went to the Vince Neil concert last night. Who the hell's Vince Neil? Motley Crue. Oh. Great White. Oh, my God. Everybody says he's super fat and sucks, but he was a badass, and so was his band. It was so good. I'm sorry, but I just had to say that. It was fun. What was the average age of people there? <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> yes, I was crowd watching, people watching. Everybody was pretty much really old, but it was fun. <laughs> it was fun as hell. So, yeah. Was it packed? Yes, it was sold out. It was at the Hard Rock Casino in Tampa. Is that indoor or outdoor? It was indoor. Wow, it was super that's fun. Awesome. I hope I don't come down with COVID after that, but I tell you what, I, I had rocked it out. I had a good time, enjoyed the hell out of myself. So. <laughs> That's a little happy thing that I have to add to our yes, episode. Please. All right, I'm sorry. That's great. Move on. <laughs> well, other than watching seniors rock out, <laughs> this week we talked to a gentleman that a few people actually mentioned to Barb and I that we should have on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And then when he posted that we recorded with him, there was a little bit of excitement. Quite a few people talked about how excited they were to hear this episode. And we can see why. John Wilson from Sunrise Dental Laboratory out in California has been at this lab game for a while. Early on, he saw the importance of putting his lab on the front line of implant restorations. John comes on the podcast to talk about his early days as a punk kid, Mm -hmm. mistakes he's made, and more importantly, the lessons he's learned. And as an added bonus, he shares those lessons in hopes that he can prevent others from making the same mistake. 
So I would like to say before you finish, yeah. basically it's the John show. It is the John show. He is a talker and he is amazing. But Elvis and I don't have a whole heck of a lot to say, but we enjoyed the heck out of it. It was amazing. If every yep. guest could be like him, our jobs and lives would be easier. <laughs> we would just be sitting there drinking some wine. <laughs> so join us as we kind of chat with John Wilson. Whitmix is now providing its milling customers with Prima milling tools, the high-performance milling tools engineered specifically for Roland Mills. This new tool range outperforms the competition. The results show that not only does the tool last 29% longer than most others, their precision creates a pinpoint accuracy ensuring a perfect fit for the patient. Whitmix's own digital technical support team said, quote, The tools are a drop-in replacement for Roland tools so there's no need to make changes to the software to accommodate them. All of the Prima tools seem to have an exceptional life and produce a great surface finish. We recommend switching to them. The uncoated tools save up to 40% per restoration over the market leaders. Visit Whitmix.com or call 1-800-626-5651. And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. Well, we'd like to welcome to the podcast today, John Wilson from Sunrise Dental Lab. How are you this early morning? Doing well. Thank you very much, Elvis and Barbara. It's wonderful to be on your show, and I'm really excited about sharing a little bit about myself and the trade, and or let's just talk a little bit about who I am and what I've done in this industry. And I've been very, very fortunate to uh, chat a little bit about uh, this stuff. And, and I'm excited about what can go down with this today. Awesome. Us too. We love it. Yeah. So let me tell you exactly how I found you, sir. It was Dan Elfering, so you can blame him. But he recommended <laughs> that we get you on. Something about Dandy, I believe, was part of the conversation. We better not be talking about that. <laughs> okay, so we'll stay clear. Uh, Dan's a great guy. Dan, I love the guy to death. He's a, a very, very good friend of mine. We've never spent any time outside of the trade. We've gone to a couple conferences where we've been there together. I love the guy. He's a great, great guy, wonderful human being, Absolutely. great technician. I, I oh, love yeah. the guy. But he recently did push Dandy my way. It's not for me, but it might be good for somebody else. It's a weird subject that really not many people want to approach in our industry yet. But let's get to that later. John, how the heck did you get started in this industry? Oh, that's a great question. So at 17 years old, I was one of those punk kids that thought he knew everything. So 10 years ago. Yep. Yeah, yep. exactly. I wish. <laughs> So at 17, you know, I was just finishing up high school and on a weekend, you know, I decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to go make my way in this world. So I left home at 17. Wow. And if we go for a backstory there, I, I was always an entrepreneur. I had, you know, two paper routes, a morning and an evening. I had a gardening service early on and, and I was really coming from a family that was not well off. And, you know, my parents worked hard. My father had multiple businesses that started and failed. And yeah. he continued to put his head down. And a little backstory on that is essentially, you know, I knew that if I was going to get anywhere in this world, I had to make it on my own. So 
again, 17, I decided, hey, I'm moving out. And, uh, you know, I had a girlfriend at that time and she was going off to college and I tagged along that gave us a good opportunity to shack up and move forward <laughs> with life. And, you know, high school for me was always, you know, just a deterrent from me making money. And it was yep. very easy for me. I, I can't remember ever really cracking a book and graduated with like a, a 3.7 or something like that. And uh, back in the day, you know, that was my forefront to move on to going to college. And I really didn't know what the heck I was going to do with finding my way in this world. I applied to, to college, got into Cal State Fullerton uh, on a somewhat scholarship. I started with that, hated it, could not get anything going on it. And I struggled with it. I had no study habits whatsoever. But in the meantime, you know, I'm living out on my own. I got to find a way to make some money. So after taking a bunch of little crappy side jobs, I happened to fall into a dental laboratory and it was for a driving position. And I walked in this lab and I was intrigued. I was always one of those guys that enjoyed working with those hands and making things. And I was intrigued by what the hell was going on in here. So, you know, anybody that's worked in a lab and has been a driver knows that there's downtime. They're not always on the road. So I, I was fortunate to partner up with this owner of this laboratory who was an exceptional businessman and technician. He struggled a little bit on the business side. I shouldn't say exceptional. He was really making some bad choices. And when I was going to school at, at Fullerton, you know, my major was going to be business and accounting. So I had some background on numbers. And for some odd reason, I took this job as a driver, became friends with this owner, and he opened up the books to me. And he showed wow. me some of the things that he was struggling with. And it was a bigger I should say medium-sized lab. There's like 15 or to 20 techs at one time in this laboratory. It's a good sized lab. Yeah. 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 And it and you know it was down in Costa Mesa, California, and it was near the beach, and and I was living life, and I was living on you know ramen and and mac and cheese <laughs> because we had jack shit of money. I mean, literally no money whatsoever, and and making a four dollar and 15 cent an hour plus mileage just doesn't get very far but you know back in the day you could live on it barely <laughs> yeah barely why. and the truth is if you really reflect on life you know sometimes the leanest days were the best days and and in that that time frame i started learning the trade and he was fortunate enough to say hey you know what in the downtime, let's start you on the plaster bench. So, of course, I put in my dues like every technician starts on the plaster bench and moved into preliminaries for denture work, bite, bite blocks and custom trays. And eventually I got to uh, uh, start setting teeth. And, and there was a, a long couple years where I worked in uh, dealing with processing. So I was classically trained on the job as a denture technician. Mm -hmm. So... Fast forward from there, five years later, I felt rather comfortable. I was a punk kid still, but still thinking that he <laughs> he knew it all. And I just mentioned to the guy that, you know what, I think I'm going to have to move on because the money wasn't there. I couldn't go anywhere. I told him, you know, I was grateful for what he shared with me. And I moved inland. My girlfriend, who was uh, soon to be my first wife and mother of my two wonderful children, we moved inland and uh, we eventually bought a house and I started up a little garage lab. And that's where everything started with Wilson Dental Lab, my surname, and uh, continued on for nine years working uh, in-house uh, in my garage. And the funnest part and the most interesting part to anybody that's starting a trade, you know, it, 
when you get out there and start a business, you think you have it all figured out. And God knows I stumbled so many times along the way. I, I failed multiple times. And when I say failed, I just fell flat on my face because I had no clue what the hell I was doing, but I was full of confidence. And I walk into every office in the surrounding area like I was just the, the man when it came to making dentures. And, and, <laughs> and finally, I got into a group practice and they gave me a shot and we were making horrible dentures. I mean, the worst quality dentures, just fast, fast money dentures, because that's what it was. It was a mill. It was back when capitative insurance uh, practices were, were going through. And uh, this office had seven offices, and that was my start. But wow. Elvis, I'll tell you, that was the birth of me understanding that that wasn't the type of dentistry that I wanted to be involved in. And after working for this group for, oh, about five years, I had all my eggs essentially in one basket. I was more or less, uh, I owned a job that was working for, for this particular client. It didn't allow me to grow, didn't have any depth to it. And I certainly wasn't happy about the hours that I was putting in. I was one of those guys that worked, you know, for almost nine years, seven days a week, close to 12 hours a day building, because that's what you do when you're trying to build a practice and you're trying to build, you know, revenue to be able to uh, uh, provide for your family and, you know, having two young kids and being married and, and buying a house and all of that stuff. This is all I knew. This is all I knew how to do and put my head down, work hard continue to bring work in. So I had an epiphany in the sixth year of my business. I said, this isn't working. I decided I'm, I'm going to take every type of continuing education class that I could get to in my broken down Volkswagen uh, bug it <laughs> can take me to this thing that wasn't going to take me out that was on a Friday, Saturday, or a Sunday. And I would expense whatever it took for me to do this. And that would allow me to continue to work. But improve my understanding of prosthetics. So that was a really big turn for me. And in that, that second year that I started doing that, it was once a month I was traveling doing something to try to better myself in the trade. And now we're pushing closer to about 1992. And I was at that point recognizing that I could not work for this uh, clinic any longer because it was just dragging me down. I wasn't allowing to expand and do better quality work. And in the meantime, I was trying to pick up newer clients that were expecting to have higher quality, were, were willing to pay the price and having a personal relationship with a client rather than just uh, filling a script. Mm. Over the years, that took some time to develop. And I eventually decided, okay, if I'm going to do this, I can't work, do it all myself. I got to bring on some employees. I got to find a way to do this. So I, I rented my first space outside the house, monumental time for me, lots of money invested. And, you know, essentially I skipped over a couple parts, but when I first started in this business, there was a used equipment guy in my hometown and I went in there with no money, but a credit card. And I said, this is what I need. And for $650, I got enough equipment that I could process dentures and uh, set up a little lab in my house. It cost you $650 wow. to get going? Yes. Wow. $650. Yeah. You probably thought that was a ton of money at the time, though, because, I mean, it is. 
it was money I didn't have. And, yeah. and, but it funded me. And the guy really, he, this guy, you know, he's an unsung hero in my life and he's long gone now, but uh, literally this guy got me started. And, you know, this is all stuff that was acquired from God knows where it's been sitting in a warehouse forever. So he was happy to get 650 bucks to clear the warehouse, sure, but, yeah. but you know, it all had value. It all had got me going. And the truth is, is when it comes to getting started in, in, indenture work back in the day, you don't need too many fancy things. You just need your hands. You need your, your mind's eye. You need to be able to envision where you're going and you have to have the wisdom to do the job correctly. And today, conversely, you know, now I got a lab and, you know, we got multi-million dollars worth of uh, equipment and they're running, you know, CAD cam and all this stuff, but mm -hmm. everything started with that $650 investment. So 92, we make the change, we get into a, a suite, and I take on my first part-time employee. And now the fun begins because <laughs> I have no idea how to manage people. All I know how to do is manage myself. I know my integrity. I know my work ethic. I know everything about that. So it was very, very challenging when I'm bringing people on because I expected them to have the same mentality that I had as a, a you know worker, you know, Good we all luck with that, right? <laughs> exactly. It was a challenge, yeah. but but I'll tell you, I learned something more about myself in those years than a lot of people probably don't reflect on. You know, I, I recognize that I was wearing every hat, and to do that, you have to release some of those hats to be happy. And you know, what I find in this industry is there's a lot of amazing technicians, wonderful artisans, and unfortunately, they don't release the hats. They don't know how to delegate. Yeah. They don't know how to talk to uh, their staff, and they're more like the dictators in these little empires, and ultimately, they are the, the weakest link in the chain, and I was that weak link. I was that guy, and I still, uh, to a have a little bit of that issue now. And with that, we never find balance in this industry between work life and happiness. You know, you can be <laughs> very proud of what you do. You could be very satisfied with the work that goes out, but at what cost? And life is about, you know, enjoying every aspect of it. And I failed miserably early on because all I did was wanted the business to succeed. I don't care what it was going to take. I was going to put my head down and do that. And I, and my, my personal life, my first marriage failed uh, because of that. My personal relationships with my children at a very early age was non-existent because, you know, what dad's role was to go make money and provide for the family and make sure that my kids have a future that didn't involve lots of debt. I wanted them to come out of college, uh, you know, debt free and mm -hmm. be able to make their way in the world like I did. Did any of them end up in the industry? <laughs> Absolutely not. And, I didn't and think so. <laughs> I, and it, it is a little sad. You know, we got a business that, that, you know, is aging now. And I continue to work hard every day because I still dig it. I love it. I love the, the, mm -hmm. the ability to, to make big changes in these patients' lives. And, and, you know, I've been fortunate to make some really radical changes over my career. But, you know, to finish out that first part with the employees, I'll tell you, the, the hardest part for me was to recognize that every person is not me. 
and they're not going to be the same as me and they're going to have to have good and bad days and they can surprise you some days and and they can disappoint you some days and when you can come to terms with that and you can set expectations, realistic expectations, just because you can do a project in 40 minutes. You can't expect the next guy to do the exact same thing. It doesn't always work that everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And it took me a lot of years to really come to terms with that. So as I move forward, we grew the lab. And by the time I got to 10 technicians in this analog state, I was really miserable. I mean, it was it was very, very difficult. We had lots and lots of uh, cases coming through the lab. And while we were focusing on better quality clientele, we still had the nagging issue of cash flow. Cash flow was horrible. I can remember many a days worrying about this check clearing so that I can make the payroll. Yeah. That's a horrible way to run a business. And realistically, it's because I wasn't running it like a business. I was running it like a, a hobby shop in a lot of ways. And, and at the end of the day, when I came to terms that, hey, this is my business, I can make the terms, I can dictate our path. And I wasn't making what I consider the biggest mistake that any human can make is making fear-based decisions. I was making decisions on, oh, no, if I say this to this client, I'm going to lose this client. I'm going to lose this revenue. If I don't have this revenue, I can't play this employee, can't pay this employee. I can't make the work. So all of these things are a domino effects. So and when I recognize that, you know what, the people that are going to uh, respect you in this trade are going to be guys that you want to work with. They're true partners. It's a symbiotic relationship between client and lab. And the guys that don't care about what you do, they're only caring about them, they're never going to have a long-term relationship. So over the time frame, as we grew the lab and as we brought on employees, well, you know, we were exclusively only a prosthetic laboratory at that time, just doing removable appliances of some sort. And there was a Crown and Bridge laboratory that was going out of business that I was employing two of uh, their techs as uh, part-time work for us. So it was a, a very uh, simplistic approach to be able to transition over and more or less buy out this laboratory. And unfortunately, the owner of that lab Lab, uh, did pass on and uh, you know I wanted to make a bit of a transition for his wife and and luckily we we picked up all of their clients and and used equipment and and next thing you know we're Crown of Bridge Laboratory as well that was the scariest part of my life because I didn't know anything about making a crown I, I didn't know any of that aspect so what is, what does John Wilson do? He goes back to the circuit to to learn continuing education to try to better myself because how can you lead a, a crew if you don't know how to do it yourself? So it was fun for me again. I had, you know, an exciting new adventure coming on. I had all this new potential for all of these clients that, you know, were not using me for dentures, but now, you know, sending us Crown and Bridge, I could cross sell them. And yeah. And that was a really good way for us to bring in revenue. But I still had the nagging cash flow problem. We, we could produce it, but how do you collect it? And it came down to, well, you have to be strong with, with the terms. You have to set policy. You have to enforce policy. And you have to be strong enough to say the most powerful word, no. And so often as I was coming up, 
I never wanted to tell anybody no. I always wanted to find a way to say yes. And I recognized uh, at one one point that, you know, yes is a fun word. Everybody likes to hear the word yes, but what does yes do a lot of times? It kills the, you know, every other part of happiness. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you have to have limitations. So as I move forward in that, making those decisions, I started to set policy. I started to uh, get to the point in my career that I saw where the industry was moving. This is the most eye-opening thing that I can share with any tech or any small business. You have to have your finger on the pulse of the industry and be able to you know, have some sort of vision on where it was going. And back in the day, cosmetics were super big at that point for uh, uh, veneer cases. And the Crown and Bridge side, we were doing, oh, four to, to 10, six over six veneer cases in my little laboratory weekly. And that was a very big revenue for us. It was a lot of stress. We were doing a lot of foil veneers. We, this was all pre-pressable. It was all stacked glass and, and lots and lots of hands-on labor. And with that, it allowed us to, again, you know, make a name for ourselves and grow the business. And we were still all only working in state. We weren't doing anything outside of state. Nothing was shipping in. You know, we were 50 uh, mile radius from my location and there was plenty of work in Southern California at that time. But what we noticed is that the medium price point for a restoration was starting to diminish. And back in the day, quadrant dentistry, which is the biggest part of this industry still today, was still somewhat profitable, but I saw the decline. And as we move forward, we're going to jump forward a little bit. I started to say, hey, you know what? There's got to be another product that I can find a way that has better margins that's going to allow me to uh, uh, move forward in business and still have some longevity before these mega labs and you know, offshore stuff back in the because this was pre-offshore at this point. They were still being done, but most of the low-quality, low-cost work was still being done, you know, domestically. That one-man lab that have no clue what how to run a business and threw a price on it because the guy down the street was selling this crown for this price, and that's how he priced his work. And it wasn't based upon, you know, business understanding of what it costs, what the material costs, what's the indirect and direct labor associated with it. It just put a number out there because that's what Joe Blow down the block is selling it for. And if he's selling it for that, I got to sell it for that. So once I moved forward with that, I started to recognize that implant dentistry was going to be my saving grace in industry. You know, cosmetics were one of those things that, yes, it, it with the right clientele, with the right patient, they made money. They were great. We loved them. But too often, we found they were very challenging, and sometimes it would take two or three times to satisfy the patient. And if the price point isn't correct on that, well, it's a loss. You might as well write the, the client a check to not send you the case because you're not making money with that. And you know what? Unless you're some sort of crazy philanthropist and that's the, the way you want to run your business, you know, that wasn't for me. So. Implant dentistry was my excitement. I saw it as a forefront. I, I knew that I had to get involved with this some way, and there was very little uh, continuing education for techs at that time. And it was costly. It wasn't inexpensive. And every part, you know, was waxed and cast and utilizing these machine parts. And, and all of it was very, very expensive. 
and risky when you're learning and having to put your tuition in to be able to understand the systems and, and grow your knowledge base. What time frame were you getting into implants? I'm curious, what was around these days? I would say it was 92 was the first course that I took. In 1992, Noble BioCare was putting on a uh, Branamart course for, okay, yep. for, for doctors. It wasn't really set for techs at all. Nova BioCare down in Brea, California at that particular time, I just happened to cold call him. I said, hey, listen, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm interested in this. I want to learn about this. Is, is there a way that I can come down and get involved in this? I was the only tech in this particular class. It was a pricey class for me back in the day. I think it was like $950 or something like that to do this course. And essentially, it was a weekend thing. And they were just talking about componentry and how things went together and, and what the prosthetic outcome was. And then I started Started thinking, well, if I could understand the surgical challenges on these cases, because back in the day, you know, the GPs weren't doing any of this. It's all going to specialty surgeons. And, yep. and then the GPs sure. were the ones that were super scared about how to restore these cases. Well, what the hell do you do with this part? How do I take an impression? How do I know that this thing actually fits correctly? So it was a vision at that particular time that I told myself that if I can become a master, if I could, if I could share some wisdom along the way with these clients as they're getting their feet wet with implant dentistry, then I'm going to be the one that they're going to reach out to. And I grew that side of it. So I started with a couple study groups locally. And again, I was the only technician that came into that. And when I infiltrated the, the third study group that there was another tech involved in, I was the most hated guy on the planet. That guy hated me. He could not stand me because he saw me as a threat rather than a <laughs> colleague. Yeah. And I'll tell you, and this is where my you know mentality for giving back to the trade started. This guy was way more advanced than me. He was involved in implant dentistry longer, and he was the so-called leading lab in my local area for implants. So I reached out to him after a study a club meeting and I said, I introduced myself. He said, I know who you are. I said, listen, I, I really value the potential of having a relationship with you as a colleague here. I see the wonderful things that you're doing here. And I think there's plenty of work in this, uh, this area and we could probably benefit one another in this particular forum if we share and learn from one another. He more or less laughed in my face. I was going to say, how did that go? <laughs> oh, it, was, it was horrendous. I mean, it was just horrible. He looked at me and says, why would I help you at all for anything? Wow. All you're going to do is take my clients and you're going to leave me in the dust. I said, no, there's plenty of work out there for everybody. Let's grow this side of it. You know, if we grow implant dentistry in our local area, it's good for everybody. And he was having none of it. And I will not name him, but it went down. It, it stuck in my craw. And I told myself, if I ever get to a point where anybody, I mean, anybody reaches out to me and has a question about something in dental technology, I would bust my ass to be able to be a resource to them and share no matter how much time and effort and even monetary aspect of it, I would do it because that's my penance because this industry has been so good to me. I, I've, I've really made a very good life because of this. And that's 
that's why I'm involved in online forums and all the different Facebook groups and all the other pre-forums back in the day. I've always been a computer guy. So it goes all the way back to the AOL days and the CompuServe days where there was chat rooms for dental CompuServe. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> I'm an old motherfucker. <laughs> so when it comes to that stuff, Elvis, I, I just thought that the way it should be. We should all Absolutely. be sharing. Yeah. I think it's crazy that you actually ran into somebody along the way that that was that shitty about sharing information because everybody we talked to, Elvis and I would probably both agree that that's not how our industry is now. So I think you ran into somebody pretty negative really early on where it's not like that anymore. And I'm super glad you didn't turn out that way. And I, I agree with you there because it was a different time frame. You know what? We didn't have the internet. We didn't have these resources. We couldn't just click on YouTube and find 15 different how-to videos to do something. They just didn't have that ability. And you know what? Yeah. The books that we were reading that I have a library full of dental technology stuff, most of them were, you know, 30 or 40 years old on how they were written. And as the newer technologies came out, the only way you could amass any type of knowledge is to go take a course. And then, you know, they would throw you to the wolves and say, okay, you have have a, a weekend course, you should be able to do it. And now you got to go experiment in your lab and make this product work. And with implant dentistry, you know, you just can't fail at that. If you fail at that, you're dead. So along the way, as we're moving forward with implant dentistry, guys, it was a huge growth for, for my lab because there was very few technicians that were taking that on back in that part of the day. So it was very easy to acquire new clients. And then it was my goal as a business owner to cross sell them and bring them into the lab as a more multi-product clientele. And and that was a, a big change for us as we move forward with that. And, and I continued for almost 12 years doing some sort of courses and traveling and, and doing as much as I could. And I tell techs today, if you don't know anything about implant dentistry, you have such an advantage today because of all the resources that are available on the net to be able to, to learn this stuff. And back in the day, if we got a pamphlet at a, at a meeting that showed some componentry, that was a, a pretty great course because now we have some names and a picture to put it to. Whereas before, you know, the catalogs that would come to the office was just a myriad of parts. And it was very daunting at that particular time. So once I have masked that and be able to, to have a better understanding of, of not just one implant system, but multiple implant systems, the, the tier one companies back in the day, would, and they'd like to think they are still today, you know, Nobel, Strom, and Astra. Uh, mm -hmm. Those yeah. three companies back in the day were at the forefront. That's all we did was those types of things. In, in Southern California, it was a Nobel-based marketplace. So I became very, very entrenched in the Nobel ecosystem. And, you know, that starts to move forward into technology. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about technology and, and how I got involved in it. And, and Elvis and, and Barbara, the, the thing about technology is I've always been a nerd when it comes to that type of stuff. I've really dig, you know, finding a way to streamline processes 
to be able to make more consistent results based upon you know a systematic approach and utilizing technology early on was exciting to me because I saw the potential. We certainly couldn't foresee where we we're going to get to, and I certainly only wanted to control the design element of CAD CAM back in the day. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to become a machinist. I didn't want to have to learn a CAD CAM in that regard. I just wanted to learn and control the design and be able to come up with a way to have predictability. And the first scanner that we got in a laboratory from Noble Biocare was Mod 40. And uh, that touch scanner, you know, went forward to every iteration of Noble Biocare scanner and got us involved in the, the worst kind of uh, 2D rendering of product. The GUI was just horrible on those things and very, very challenging, but it was the future. And, and yeah. I was going to find a way to make money with this. I expensed this stuff and it was horribly tough to be able to do this. I put myself in debt. I floated stuff on credit cards. I did all the wrong things that I would tell any tech today, don't do this. Yeah. And along the way, it inspired me to make some other hard choices in the business. So we'll go back to the some business side of it. And you can cut this all up to make it sound good. But the truth <laughs> is, is when it came to running the business, I told you the struggles with technicians initially and my understanding of, of people. And I had to learn how to be a better what do you call it, to, to empower my techs rather than tear them down and, and push them and put my thumb on the back of their neck because nobody does well with that. So when I realized that every person's different, every person's going to be motivated in a different manner, I started to try to be a better person when it came to that and tried to realize, well, if I was working for somebody, how would I like to be treated? So that's one of the reasons why I say today in my laboratory, I have eight techs. Yeah, small little lab, eight techs, and my eldest technician has been with me. It's going to be 30 years this next year. My wow. second tech has been with me over 22 years, and my lead CAD CAM tech is uh, coming on 19. So those three techs have been with me forever. They stuck with me for a reason. And I like to think that it's because one, you know what, we're family. And two, you know, I try to realize, hey, they're trying to make a living here. I want to protect them. I want to be able to give them a good life because they've been by my side. They've been my right hands. And we're a team when it comes to that way. And over the years, it, it took me a long time to actually develop that understanding. It wasn't just, hey, I'm the boss. You're the employee. You're getting a check. You're going to do it my way or it's the highway. And when I recognized that there's way better ways to deal with people, and I changed that thought process and became an accountable event. And it was great. I started to let my guys make their decisions. I'm not going to tell you how to get to the end product. I just want the end product to look like this. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm going to let you take your time to do it your way. And then we're going to come up and discuss this at the end of the day on what went well and what could have gone a little bit better. And that mentality right there, I'll tell you guys, empowered my staff to really feel like they were part of the team because they are. And it's not just me. And while I bring the work in and while I continue to nurture the lab, it's everybody's hands that are involved in this with the same common goal to do really good quality dentistry and really make a difference in these patients' lives. So that was a really big learning thing. It took me a lot of falling down to before I actually can come to terms with, with that aspect of it. And 
I still raise my voice from time to time, but you know what? I'm human. And you know what? At the end of the day, I'll always pull them aside and I'll discuss it. And I'll say, hey, you know what? This didn't go so good today. I wasn't proud of my demeanor here. You're a valuable person in my organization here. And I really want to know that I'm human too. I make mistakes. Those types of things really made a difference in how I ran my staff. And it took it to the next point where how was I going to nurture these people? How was I going to be able to build a business? How was I going to be able to give periodic raises? All of this had to be based upon me running the business like a businessman. And I wasn't a businessman. I was a punk kid that left home at 17. I had no background on this. And self-help books will only do so much, let alone if you can find the time to read the damn things. And, yeah. and literally, uh, those things were all learned by trial and error. Yeah. So we're going to jump forward here. I'm going to share some things. In 2008, when the crash came in this industry, and uh, I had gone through a divorce prior, and I was with my my soulmate, who is my right hand, and, and just the best part of my life, my current wife, Jenny, she changed everything in my life without her really even knowing it. I started to find a way to run my business like a business. I started setting terms. I started to... Uh, only take on clients that were going to be a good fit for the laboratory that had had similar connections that when I say that we have similar viewpoints that we were a good meshing fit and 2008 crashed everybody lost a lot of revenue uh, and we struggled with this and I said screw it I'm going to come in here I'm going to reach out to all my old clients I'm going to let them know our only form of payment is going to be credit card and it's going to be billed on the 31st day of the month. Really? All of your accounts are going to be paid, and I'm not going to carry one dime. That went over like a lead brick. I just, bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah, wow. But let me tell you, the worst part of the time is I recognized that these people are already in debt. We are unsecured debt. At this particular point, I can't take on the risk of carrying this. I'm not a bank. I'm not making money on this floating AR. I can't do it. So with that, I lost some clients. Oh, yeah. But I gained the respect of the ones that knew I was going to stay firm with it. And it was hard. There were several months that were leaner because of that. But I started to run my business like a business. And with that, the cash flow improved tenfold. I was able to purchase equipment. I was able to pay cash for things. I wasn't leasing. I was not going into debt, personal debt with this stuff because yeah. I had the revenue. I was investing back into the business. And CADCAM is expensive and lots of small labs. They didn't have the ability. They didn't have the means to be able to get involved in this stuff because of that. So they struggled, they waited, they waited too long, and they didn't get to ride the wave of being new on the industry with this stuff, charge a premium for the prices that you're doing. They were still thinking, oh, I buy this, I can pump out that much many more, and it's still the low price that we're doing, but it's we can make more of them. And I was absolutely the opposite. I said, okay, I'm going to get this machine. I'm going to be able to do this stuff. And not everybody has the same design libraries at that particular time. And I was going to sell it as a premium product. I knew what it cost to produce that restoration after working with it sometime. So I always had the ability to pull back on price if it forced me to. But 
since I was focusing on implant dentistry and since I was focusing on more comprehensive treatment because I saw that quadrant dentistry was a commodity, that it was widgets. It was no way to, to make your molar crown any really that much more dramatic than the guy down the street. So why yeah. would I want to be in that market? Why would I want to look for that restoration? Well, I didn't. I, I stopped marketing that did we stop making them? No, of course not. We had long-term clients that had been with us for years and years, continue to send us this type of work. But my focus was on full arch dentistry and comprehensive treatment plannings to be able to be involved from the get-go on these cases. And that was a difference to be able to grow and be perceived as an expert in that type of work. So as we move forward and as we go down the path of uh, implant dentistry and full arch uh, restorations and getting involved in CAD CAM allowed us to really control the not only the design elements, because now we're buying mills. Now we're finding a way to machine this stuff. And you know what? While our manufacturers have done an amazing job putting together these turnkey packages that will more or less take any idiot and, and allow them to become a machinist overnight by pointing and clicking on simple restorations. It's really a, a, an amazing undertaking on what goes down with CAD CAM today. What the difference was is there was really no real good pass back in the day for more complex parts. You know, If you could make a pretty CAD design, and it came off the mill and it looked like a turd. Well, that's all on, <laughs> on, on, on you. You know, you got to realize that, you know, the CAD aspect is only one part of the equation. So learning how to machine started the, the path for me to, in the evenings, go home and start reading five access machining websites. And I'm a nerd when it came to that because, yes, it was very dry reading. Yes, it took a long, <laughs> a long time, time to learn. But you got to realize that the packages that were coming from these manufacturers were not completely open and writing your own strategy and, and doing this stuff wasn't initially open for that type of stuff because they mm -hmm. didn't want you to crash the damn mill. You know, they really yeah. wanted you to just follow the point and click mentality. Well, I've never been a point and click guy. I, I've always wanted to understand how things work. So at this particular point, I'll tell you, I spent an enormous amount of time, you know, bettering myself to understand how these machines work. And for that, I've benefited from that because now, you know, we can do things that most labs can't. And while the industry has grown and morphed and there's plenty of guys doing exceptional work today, I mean, amazing work. I, I love to be able to see where this industry goes. For every guy like that, there's a hundred other guys doing just really sad stuff that they're proud of. And I try not to ever tear anybody down on Facebook or any of these groups. And I've tried to be that resource. And whether they're asking a question or not, sometimes I'll reach out privately and I'll say something and, and share a little bit with that stuff. I don't have to do that. But again, I enjoy dentistry to this point. It's been great to me. I want other people to have the same benefits that I've had. And, and that's why I go back and, and do those types of things. But as we move forward in my career, the twilight of my career, I don't have to be doing this anymore. I'm fortunate. You know, my, my kids are grown. They're through college. They're living their life. I've done okay for myself. I'm pretty happy, you know, 
getting in the golf cart and going to play golf. And that's my fun today. But I have some amazing clients. I mean, really, you know, some of the best clients in the world when it comes to full arch dentistry and, and implant dentistry. And I have this desire to have that same problem where I don't want to say no. And it's been a, a bittersweet problem for me because I get to work on these amazing cases and change lives and do it on my own terms in that regards. And it's been 18 months through COVID, all, all of that stuff. But I was very fortunate. We had more work than we possibly do. I had to furlough my staff like most people for two months. Everybody came back. Yeah. And in the meantime, we were at 150% capacity in my lab. So those two months that we were there, I was still busting my ass working because we had a backload of cases that were, you know, six weeks out. So we were really only down for about two weeks in my laboratory via COVID. And that's unheard of. Especially in California. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And that's part of the stuff that I haven't really, really talked about. But I recognize that my local area back in the day when the quadrant dentistry started to not be my forefront was not going to be my future. And I knew that there was tons of little pockets of really wonderful clientele across this country in small little towns. And if I wanted to do these big, complex cases... I had to find those guys. How do you find those guys? A lot of those guys need the handholding up front. So for me to build my full arch business, I had to be a mentor and a resource to these guys. So I started out on Dentaltown way back in the day. Mm, Dentaltown, yeah. I remember that too. And on Dentaltown, I was one of those guys that was never looking like a marketing lab. I was just sharing wisdom from the laboratory side, and I started to get these private messages, mm -hmm. which is out of the blue. Wow, I really like your understanding of this. Uh, can we chat about this? And we started growing our relationships with people in different states. Now, today, we have the really good fortune to work with uh, clients in 32 of the 50 states. And we're not doing lots and lots of work. This guy in Idaho maybe only do one or two cases a year. But when they have multiple eggs in the basket, rather than one client that does a bunch of stuff, it allows us to grow and allows us to grow in the right manner. And over the years, I think that I shared a bunch of wisdom with a bunch of great guys that really blossomed and went through. Fast forward to today, I'm not taking on any other new clients. We have a wait list of probably 30 clients on, on here at this particular time because at this point, guys, I want to be happy about what I'm doing. I don't want to be struggling with it. And I'm still struggling with that life balance that I told you about. And it's because I like to say yes. And while no is that powerful word, it makes me feel good to say yes and help these people. So I had to really put the brakes on. And in that has been a bit, a bit of a bit of a trouble for some guys because it puts them off. You know, I don't want to come off as that pompous guy that doesn't need you anymore. But the truth is, is I don't. And I'm fortunate with you. that. And at this point, I can pick and choose the quality of the client that I want to work with. And in that, I've been very, very fortunate to make some amazing connections with people that literally changed my life. There's a couple guys that I won't name specifically. They know who they are if they hear this, but they make such a difference in my life. We are lifelong friends. And literally, I text them more than my wife in a lot of ways because <laughs> we are on the same page. We connect with dentistry and we connect with the common goal 
of doing the best quality work that we can for these patients and take these what we call dental cripples and turn their life around to make full arch dentistry, you know, a life-changing event for them. We're not just selling a widget to slap in a mouth that's going to fail and cause other issues to come down. If you're not treating the entire problem, you are the problem. That's how I've always looked at this stuff. And quadrant dentistry to me was always killing me. When we got into CAD CAM and we were able to see Jane Smith's next scan come in and we could see our crown back in that mouth and we can see where they adjusted. We can see what's causing problems. We can see the super eruption on on unrestored opposing dentition. We could see all of that stuff. And we recognized that we were just slapping some band-aids in these people's mouth to get them out of pain rather than rehabilitate them. So finding a way to rehabilitate these people and, and being involved in these teams and really being taking your your role seriously was what I loved. And guys, it took a while for that to come to that point. But, you know, today in my twilight, I'm still digging it. I still get up at 4.30 every morning. I work here at my house from 4.30 to about 8. And then I go into the office because the phone just starts ringing off the hook. And I get my most productive time with uh, managerial stuff and complex uh, design work. I still design, I would say, 60% of my big cases in my lab I'm doing personally. Good for you. And it's because I dig it. I love it. And, you know, if you follow me on any of the Facebook forums, you'll know that I'm passionate about CAD. And there's so many different ways to be able to implement that. And some guys are still in that same mindset. You know what? We just need to get this pan out. And that will never happen in my lab today. Today, it's either right or wrong. And if it's wrong, it's not going out the door. And if we miss a due date, it's because we've made a mistake. And my clients understand that. And yes, it screws up their schedule. Yes, it's something that is the bane of myself. But I am not going to get something out the door just to get something out the door. And I think that the guys that partner with me see that as a big value. So, so yeah, so that's in a nutshell, me and where we're at in my business today. And some of the things that I see for the future is more automated paths to be able to do this stuff. But the truth is, is the computer with AI and all the stuff that's coming out today still cannot take the wisdom that's in my brain at this particular point and make a full arch case. It just can't happen. And it's going to be long past my retirement that that is implemented. And, And while I think the technical role for the small lab today is changing, I think that if I was a younger tech today, I would really look to find the right person to work in office and it's coming full circle. You know, back in the day when I started in that denture lab, there was many, many times where I would be, be able to go chair side and, and help out a client. And, and I learned so much of the struggles from that aspect of it. I think the value for techs today is not just be a step worker, not just to be able to be an expert on one aspect of it. You got to be a well-rounded technician and you've got to be able to learn how to think on your feet. And that aspect seems to be dying in this, this world because, you know, when you're doing the same thing over and over in a lab situation, your creativity starts to get stifled. And the stuff that really, you know, gets me excited in this business is the ability to take some product, some path that was implemented a certain way and to twist it to do what I want it to do in a way that maybe the manufacturers weren't ever intending it to do. And that's the fun part about CAD. You can do some really amazing things 
if you have it in your mind's eye. If you don't have it in your mind's eye, it's very hard to get it out into the computer, let alone into a mill and, and replicate that pattern. I would imagine most labs would be scared to mess around with the cam. Like you mentioned, they'd be afraid they'd break the mill. Well, yes, there's a, there are fail safes in most of the cam packages out there. You know, there's many different ways to run simulations to make sure that what you're changing is going to be for the benefit. But yes, it's easier to do nothing. And if you do nothing, you're going to get the same results that you may have had before. Well, if the results weren't adequate before, well, how can you ever improve? So you have to learn. And the truth is, is that's where my homework came in. That's where the hours upon hours of reading in the evenings to understand toolpath and to understand tooling in general came in. And lots and lots of forums reading, you know, machining stuff. And it allowed me to inspire wisdom with my cam tech. And I can tell you today, my lead cam tech uh, that works for me is a magician. He learned it all on the job. And, and granted, I've, I've shared a bunch along the way. I'm not taking credit for his ability. His ability has been based upon me embracing him to make radical choices and changes and absorbing the bill when things broke. And and uh, honestly, you know, with any type of experimentation, you are going to have costs. It's a tuition. But for sure, if you can find in your heart to understand that if you do this, you could be more effective, you can put more parts out, you can make those parts more successful with less risk by doing these types of things. And I get requests daily. I'm not exaggerating daily from forums where I've posted work and I've posted stuff. What have you changed? What have you done? Blah, 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 blah. And there's certain things that I will not share because if you don't have the background and understanding to be able to change these things, pumping in a couple different numbers is going to just empower you to make a catastrophic mistake. And I can alienate some people there, but I always take the backstory when I talk about strategies that it's considerably safer to leave them as it is, but you're going to have the same results. And that's why, you know, it takes me a while to warm up to people and I try to test them a little bit to know what they know with that stuff before I share any radical changes that I have made in my lab for these bigger cases. So over the years, you know, it's been fun for me guys to talk teeth. I'm one of those crazy guys at the end of the day, I'm, I'll work 12 hours and and what's the first thing that I do? I get out that stupid laptop in my easy chair with my big glass of red wine and I start talking teeth again. You know, there's oh, no... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking my language. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all I know. And, and while, you know, it's comforting to me because from 17 to where I'm at today, that's been my only real job. And I've made that my only real job. And in that, you know, people will ask me invariably from time to time, well, what would you have done if you didn't get into dental? And I always say, I don't know, but I think that whatever I would have done, I would have put the same passion into it. And I certainly would have been successful. And that might sound pompous and, and just bragging. But the, the truth is, is I, I have that belief. You know, the people that want something out of this life, if you really want something, there's a million ways to get it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to come to you without hard work. So, so that's my philosophy on life when it comes to working hard. It's a hell of a philosophy. You've earned everything. <laughs> well, thank you. You've been working hard. Yeah, it's it's still, you know, it's I still 
working on that balance. And, and that's, that's my, my, that's my challenge that I continue to work on. And my wife always thinks that uh, I'm nuts for what I do. Even last night, you know, I came home after, you know, a 12 hour a day and I had a big case that has a surgery on Saturday and we were really struggling with some files that were coming through and I'm staying up till 11 o'clock at home, making sure that this happens. I don't have to do that anymore. I could have just called it off, but you know what? I really like my role on the team and I don't want to be the weak link and I'm going to make that happen. And it happened. So I worked all until 11 o'clock, got it in, it's in the mill and and it's going to ship today. And we're secure that patient's going to get teeth on Saturday. It's amazing how much people outside of our industry don't understand our weird passion for it. Oh yeah, that's for sure. I kind of feel sad for people though, that don't have passion in something. You know, I don't care if it's a hobby, if it, I don't care if it's a specifically, you got to have passion in your life that has drive and it gives you fulfillment. There's a lot of ways to get fulfilled, but you know what? It's pretty flipping great to be able to pick something that you enjoy. You know, I say this often and, and some people don't get it, but when I wake up, I say, yes, I get to go to work rather than, ah, shit, I have to go to work because, <laughs> yeah. you know, that mindset right there is so powerful. Is there days that I'm a little tired? Yeah, of course. But once I get rolling with it, I get through the day and, you know, being the boss, I could call off. I could go do something else. I can go play golf in the middle of the week. I mean, I can count on one hand all the times that I've ever done that in my life. And it's because it's fun for me. I still dig it. It's still great. And, and learning something new and, and moving forward with this stuff to make it profitable for your business, to me, that is, there's nothing better than that. And that's the best hobby there could be. Absolutely. Well said. Well, John, this was the quickest hour I think I've ever experienced. That was amazing. Well, your story and your journey. I enjoyed it. I, I hate to say it, but I've got a big ass mouth and, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I seem to find a share a little bit about when it comes to this stuff because I'm so blessed when it comes to dentistry and and I really want to empower any techs that are out there. And, and I, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to share that if you have a question about dental technology or business related question, I'm on Facebook. I'm very transparent. I'm going to open up my message box. Guys, reach out to me. I don't do this very often. If we're not friends on Facebook, please, in Messenger, just send me a message. I will eventually get to it. I'm one of those guys that I want to be able to stand by what I said about my penance to be able to give back to this industry. And this is another way that I can do that. So please, guys, if if you're interested in anything that I have to say or any of the things that I shared today, please reach out on Messenger. I'm happy to be a, a friend to you. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's super awesome of you. And I would actually like to go ahead and invite you on for a part two sometime so Barbara and I can ask some questions. Anytime. I'm I'm one of those guys that, you know what, I, I get rolling sometimes. And for some reason, I this big fat mouth of mine just doesn't s- slow up. So yes, please. Yeah, no, I have I'm, a no. list here of things I wanted to ask you, but we didn't have a chance. <laughs> Next time... We're going to do more of questions and answers. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Thank you. Awesome, John. We appreciate you coming on the podcast and we'll talk to you soon. It was an honor, guys. Really, really nice to uh, meet your acquaintance and share a little bit about myself. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 
Grow3x is a dental supply, service, and marketing company. It was founded by Norbert Ulmer, and their goal is to help dental labs, especially small labs, to lower their costs for supplies, to provide business opportunities, and help them generate growth. They really want to help labs as they know how difficult it can be competing with larger lab groups. One of the things that they have going on right now is their upcoming Grow3x Gem Talks. It's on November 5th in Charlotte, North Carolina. What is a Grow3x Gem Talks? Well, it's an all-day marketing symposium in a TED Talk style featuring some 10-plus lab speakers as they share their most relevant and practical marketing techniques. We will hear from Sasha. <laughs> we will hear from Sasha from Harvest Dental, Ann Kelser from AMK Dental Lab, Frankie Acosta from AA Dental Design, and Ricky Braswell from Beyond Coaching and former co-executive director of the NADL. A few past podcast guests are on that list. All of them will talk about real marketing as it is done in their own labs and businesses every day. Register now at growth3x.com to take advantage of their early bird special of only $95. And if you enter the discount BFTB for Voices from the Bench, you'll receive an extra 10% discount just because you listen to this podcast. We can't wait to see you at Grow3x Gym Talks in Charlotte on November 5th. So guys, have you seen the high prices of precious metal these days? They are close to record highs on gold and palladium. We know that you are using less precious metals in your lab these days, but if you send in half of what you sent in five years ago, your scrap return will be higher than it was five years ago. Because of the high PM prices, you owe it to yourself to find a trusted, reputable refining company. Look no further. Colzer Refining has been tested, trusted, and reputable for over 100 years. They burn, melt, and assay all under one roof at their state-of-the-art refining facility in Wardburg, Tennessee. They have doubled their production capacity to ensure your scrap return within two weeks. They use an ICP for their assay technique with the fire assay method if needed as well. With all the non-precious material that has become present in today's restorations, it is important that we ensure the assay sample is homogenous. At Colzer, they take the extra step to x-ray the top and the bottom after they melt the bar to make sure the precious metal percentages are the same. If not, copper is added until they are positive and the bar is homogenous. They know that this step is very important to get a precise essay result. Their reimbursement to the customer is after their 10% refining fee. They have zero additional fees. If you need any free shipping containers, which contain a UPS prepaid, fully insured label, please visit mydental360.com forward slash refining or call the director of precious metal refining, our friend Tony Cercelli, directly at 914-906-1843. So collect those vacuum bags, floor sweeps, miscast and spills, and get the best scrap return in the industry with Colzar Refining. Tested, trusted, and honest. And we appreciate your support of the podcast, Colzar. A big thanks to John for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your amazing journey. It's super amazing that you are able to still find so much passion in what you do and that you are willing to share all that you have learned over the years. He's serious. He said, hit him up on Facebook and pick his brain. So do it, guys. We joked during the episode about not getting in enough questions, but here's your chance. 
So thank you again, John, for coming on the podcast. All right, everybody. That's all we got for you. Have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Apparently you left.